This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about supply chains, connections, international business and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. In today's program, we will be talking to Dr. Edward Sweeney, a professor of supply chain management based in the Centre for Logistics and Sustainability at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, but Ed is uh, one of our own proud man of the county of Wexford. So on, on the show, we've been talking a lot about the importance of international supply chains since long before the COVID pandemic. And now it seems that supply chains and so-called supply chain crisis are of huge interest to everyone, including politicians, uh, the mass media, and the average person in the street concerned about supply shortages and, and rising prices. So this is the second time that Ed uh, has joined us in the show, and I've asked him back precisely because of the new high profile of international supply chains, and to try to um, uh, let him help us to understand what exactly is going on and what the future might hold. So welcome, Ed, and thank you very much for being here with us again today. Thank you, Patrick. It's good to be back. Um, it's we, We've been through a hell of a lot since we last spoke on this programme, haven't we? We have indeed. We have. Yeah, we've just been chatting offline. It's been uh, it's been an experience to say the least. Yeah. So uh, to kick off, Ed, today maybe um, help us understand maybe something fundamental. So, you know, as I was saying there, kind of outside of certain professional spheres, you know, most people had no real idea what a supply chain, what the supply chain was. And now we have uh, politicians and we have journalists and even radio presenters all talking about <laughs> supply chains. So, you know, what, what, what are supply chains? Uh, how do they relate to this other word, uh, logistics? And, and why are both so crucial to our modern economy today? Well, look, um, it's there are two sides to this, I think, Patrick. Um, first of all, everyone has become an expert uh, suddenly in supply chain management and logistics. And of course, you are being up modest because you are actually an expert in this subject. Um, but many people in the political realm and in, in the media have become experts overnight in, in this. And that, that, that's interesting. Um, on a more positive note, um, and I, I think this has been something we've seen over a, a number of years. It's, it's not just a COVID-related issue. It's not just an issue related to the current sort of supply chain challenges that we see in, in Ireland and in the UK and elsewhere. Um, I think we can trace a lot of this media interest and political interest in supply chains, probably back to the Brexit um, debate. So probably back to sort of 2015, 2016, because if we go back and think about that debate um, here in the UK, much of it really was about trade flows, much of it was about the friction that Brexit would, would, would introduce in terms of trade flows. And of course, we've seen, uh, particularly on the island of Ireland, we've, we've seen some of the repercussions uh, from that. But just going back to your, your fundamental question, look, I think what we have to remember is that every product, and I mean every product, will reach its final user through a chain of companies. So the, the, the first sense in which we use the phrase supply chain is it's a chain of companies. And that chain of companies will typically comprise manufacturers and retailers and distribution organizations and so on. But it's a complex chain chain of, of, of companies. And we um, 
uh, often talk about this as a chain to acknowledge the fact that the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So um, a weak link anywhere in the supply chain um, will have a negative impact overall. And that, that might sound like an obvious thing to say, but actually it's very profound from the perspective of um, developing strategy and implementing implementing strategy in individual businesses because what it means is my business irrespective of how strong I am and irrespective of how good I am in relation to the activity that happens within my four walls I mean I can never really achieve my true competitive potential unless I've got the right partners to work with upstream and downstream in the supply chain of which I'm part. So the right suppliers, the right distribution links into my final customers and so on. And that's quite a sobering thought because really what it means is that your success depends on things which happen within the four walls of perhaps hundreds of other organizations. So that 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 has implications for the way in which we think about our strategic capability. It has massive implications I think in particular in terms of this whole business of relationships, and I know that's something that you have a particular interest in and a particular expertise in, because I think ultimately, um, if I'm an organization, it's unlikely I can I can control what happens, and I probably wouldn't want to in terms of what happens in other organizations. But the one thing I can influence very strongly is the kind of relationship that exists between my organization and those organizations with which I interact. So I think contemporary supply chain management thinking is about relationships. It recognizes that to be successful and, and to sort of eliminate waste and to do things more cost effectively and, 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 you know, in a way which meets customer requirements in a consistent way, we've got to kind of shift away from the fragmentation, which was often a characteristic of traditionally managed supply chains towards an approach which is characterized much more by integration. And, and that's that sounds nice in theory, but it's not just a theoretical concept because we know um, through anecdotal evidence and through research which has been undertaken into this over a long period of time that a lot of the waste, a lot of the non-value-adding activity in supply chains happens as a direct result of fragmented structures. So, so often what we have is different parts of the supply chain being measured and therefore managed in isolation from each other. Uh, and because we, we 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 do that, we end up with fragmentation. That directly creates waste. And really, the central tenet to me of contemporary supply chain management thinking is about shifting towards integration. And we can only really do that by having a very sharp focus on the way in which we create and manage relationships between different organizations up and down the supply chain. It's interesting you mentioned about the weakest link. So, you know, in, in the early days of uh, COVID in, in China, since then, late 2019, almost two years ago now, and almost right through to quite recently, you know, apart from kind of a few scares about toilet rolls and so on, um, you know, the supply chain pretty much stood up and, and performed. But now... And recently, we're seeing in many parts of the world, almost simultaneously, we're beginning to see problems with the availability of all sorts of uh, things that go into cars or toys or fuel, even food stuff. So what, what's going on now and why now precisely? That's a very good question. And um, it's interesting because it's a question which has 
been asked of me by media commentators uh, quite a bit, as you, as you can imagine, over the last few weeks. Now, it's interesting. I spoke to a journalist from uh, the Financial Times, I think it was, and um, we, his sort of starting point was, and this is really looking at the UK context, because, of course, we've seen a lot in, in, in recent days and weeks about the fuel shortage in, in, in particular. And um, the narrative around is that this is all caused by the shortage of HEV drivers. Right. So we, we here in the UK, we have the Road Haulage Association reckons we're short of about 100,000 drivers. Um, there are all kinds of reasons for that. Some are Brexit related because a lot of European, Eastern European drivers in particular return to their home countries post Brexit. Um, COVID has had an impact because, um, we, for example, we have a big backlog of, of, of testing for HEV drivers. We, we simply weren't able to do the testing we needed to do because of social distancing rules. So the, the, there are all kinds of reasons. But the point I was trying to make to this journalist was um, you, you've got to look at every product and its supply chain to really figure out what the reasons are for the shortages. It's not as simple um, as, as saying HGV uh, driver shortage is is the problem, and and if we somehow solve that problem, uh, every everything will will be will be fine. I mean, for example, uh, we work very closely um, with the automotive industry here in the UK. We have a very well documented global shortage of chips. Um, that 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 has slowed down production of of, of automobiles. Um, that in turn happens for a whole variety of, of reasons. So um, those of us like you and I, Patrick, who have this interesting kind of systems thinking have to really go back and um, keep asking why, you know, the, the sort of five whys type logic. And if we do that for different products, we begin to see a whole bunch of different types of, of factors emerging. I mean, another one I came across just in the last couple of weeks is um, a serious supply shortage in relation to coffee, you know, so the Starbucks, for example, I think it was documented a couple of weeks back, we're, we're, we're really struggling with the supply of coffee beans. And some of that we can track back to um, a particularly difficult um, winter in Brazil. Um, and we can track trace that back, we think, to sort of climate change um, factors. So I, I, I think what we have to do is we have to look at sort of every supply chain and its dynamics as an individual entity. And what we find when we do that is we have different reasons for the supply challenges uh, in, in, with different products and in different geographies. Now, having said that, there is at least one common theme which we can see across most of them. And that is um, after the lockdown, we, we, we've seen this sort of gradual uh, unlocking and it's happened at different speeds in different parts of the world. Uh, and it, it's, it's created a lot of unpredictability in terms of demand for, for products. So um, if I'm a supply chain uh, director, um, the thing which drives everything I do is the expected level of demand for my product range in the different markets in which those products are sold. And that has just been uh, a scenario which is, is characterized by a massive amount of unpredictability. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to forecast... Um, you know, what will demand for product X be in Southeast Asia? What will demand for product Y be in the Middle East and Africa? What will demand for product um, Z be in North America? And 
It's very, very difficult to do that because of the different speeds at which different parts of the world are, are bouncing back. So on the sort of demand side, we've got this unpredictability. And I, you know, I think there's a sense in the supply chain profession that um, you know, we're, we're, we're going through this sort of very volatile period and it will kind of resolve itself to an extent as, 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 as time marches as time marches on. Now, I mean, there are other very specific problems on the demand side, and they tend to be quite product specific. But in terms of, as, as you very well know, in terms of global tra- freight transportation, we've had particular problems in relation to I said to one journalist last week in relation to shortage of containers, but it's not shortage of containers, of course. We've got plenty of containers, but many of them are just in the wrong place um, at, at the wrong time. So um, that's caused some bottlenecks that in turn has pushed up um, freight shipping costs. Uh, and that has affected most businesses, really, where the supply chain is global. Uh, and And of course... We know that supply chains have become much more international and in some cases genuinely global in really over over the last 20 years or more as a result of this process, which is often referred to as globalization. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Now, there are problems everywhere. We know, you know, the problems in China, the problems in the US, in European Union, here in Ireland. But things seem to be particularly acute in, in the UK, where you live and work now. So what conditions uh, specific to the UK do you think are conspiring to make the supply chain challenges there so much more acute than in some of the other places? That's a, that's a really excellent question. And the, the, the first thing I would like to say by way of a response is that the premise underpinning your question, I, I, I think, is right. Um, that, that's certainly the anecdotal evidence I have and, and the more concrete evidence that's beginning to trickle through would suggest um, that, that the premise of your question is, is absolutely right. Um, I think there probably are a few different things. Uh, the easy answer to this is Brexit. You know, we can we we can blame Brexit for all kinds of of of, of things which have, have have happened over the last number of years. And uh, but I I think there are Brexit factors at play here because the reality is um, Brexit has created friction in trade terms and you know in relation to the UK's uh, trade with its nearest neighbours, including ourselves, of course, in 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 Ireland. And um, we see a lot in the media at the moment about the. Um, about the Northern Ireland Protocol and, and, and so on. But there are other kind of Brexit-related factors um, beyond sort of trade friction. We talked previously about um, lack of the shortage of HEV drivers. We had a serious dependence on, on Eastern European HEV drivers in the UK more than in other countries. Um, another interesting factor, if we just stay on the HEV driver shortage for a moment, is, um, we, and people often forget this, I mean, the UK has uh, quite a rapidly ageing population now. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, like if you look at the average population age in the UK compared to Ireland, for example, we see quite a quite a big quite a big gap. Um, if you look at the HGV driver profession, again, the Road Haulage Association estimates that the average age of drivers is about mid-50s. So we see a lot of drivers kind of coming towards the end of, 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 of their working lives. And, and, and that's a situation which is more acute in the UK than in some other countries with a, a different profile. I think also 
Um, the fact that the UK is an island economy, is a trading economy, uh, I think in some ways it has become, I, I, I'm just trying to be careful in how I word this, it's become a little bit the victim of its own success in that. I think we had become pretty good in many sectors over the last decade or so in terms of putting a lot of our kind of supply chain lean thinking principles and just-in-time type principles into practice. And we needed to do that because of the sort of cost pressures on the industries which which dominate and, and you know, simply because of hyper-competition in a lot of the global markets that UK companies compete in. And not just British-owned companies, of course, but um, internationally owned companies with a strong presence in the UK, for example, in the car industry. So I, I, I think um, it's, it's, it's interesting because you will remember pre-pandemic, uh, we would often talk about, you know, kind of just-in-case type approaches as opposed to just-in-time. And, and, and that phrase, just-in-case, was often used in quite a pejorative sense. You know, look at that company. It's not performing very well. It's got lots of just-in-case inventory. Now, in, in, and I, I think many of the UK companies uh, had really gotten the lean just-in-time model down, down to a, a fine art form, really, um, and needed to because of the island economy and all the pressures that come with that. So I, I think many of the companies in the UK were probably badly positioned when resilience and the need for just-in-case inventory um became obvious um and and you know so it's it, it's a bit like it's it's something we've talked about for a long time that if you go down this lean sort of track almost to too great an extent um it's it's kind of the danger is we throw the baby out with the bath yeah, I guess, water yeah, I, I guess if so, you apply it across the board as a one size fits all rather than strategically to certain things and not necessarily to other things depending on what they are you you run that uh, risk, don't you, of hitting the buffers yeah, I mean, quickly? Look, I mean, a good example um, really is around the supply chains feeding into sort of the supermarket, you know, the gro grocery um, business. I mean, when we go back to March of, of last year, um, when we all went into lockdown suddenly, you remember we saw the panic buying that that happened here in the UK. We reckoned there was one particular weekend when we reckoned that um, UK citizens, UK residents uh, collectively were carrying something like a billion pounds worth of, of stock of food in fridges and cupboards up and down the country. I mean, a billion pounds worth, you know. Um, so we as consumers became the biggest stockholding point in the in the whole supply chain. Now, that, that put massive stress on the supply chain. But I think, as you alluded to earlier on, apart from the odd issue we had with toilet rolls or dried foods and things, um, the, the, the supply chains bounced back very, very quickly. And I, I think um, proved that they were quite resilient in their own way. And certainly that they were quite, you know, agile, to use the phraseology. You know, they, 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 they could quickly respond to, um, you know, kind of very, very uh, sharp uh, changes in the demand patterns in the marketplace. And I, you know, I think um, those of us who work in the supply chain profession were quite proud of the way in which we responded to that particular challenge. Now, I know predicting the future is fraud at the best of times, Ed, but I'm going to ask you nonetheless. <laughs> so assuming, assuming there are no major setbacks from the public health front uh, worldwide in relation to covid 
how do you see supply chains responding, say, tactically over the next 12 to 18 months or maybe more strategically in the longer term to deal with what you know what's upon us now? Where are we going, do you think? I think I may have said this to you last time we, we spoke. I mean, my, my sense is that we have learned a huge amount during the sort of pandemic. And um, it's interesting that some, some elements of, of sort of good practice, particularly in terms of collaborative working between companies, uh, even sometimes collaborative working between companies that were competitors, um, that, that, that became much more commonplace a year or so ago when we began to sort of grapple with some of these challenges. And and to me, one of the really encouraging things is that some of those kind of elements of good working practice, particularly in terms of collaborative working between organizations, they seem to have bedded in quite well. Um, I, I think you and I had a discussion in the past where we sort of agreed that at the end of the pandemic, but do these things ever really end? But, you know, I had a strong sense, I, I think, that we would have a relatively narrow window of opportunity to bed in some of these learnings from, from the pandemic period. Now, having said all of that, I, I think this whole thing has gone on much, much longer than any of us uh, had had envisaged. You know, if we if we turn the clock back um, 18 months, I, I don't think any of us would. I mean, when we had the first lockdown, you know, I, I was quite depressed thinking about, the, oh, we're going to have six weeks of this, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and here we are kind of 18 months later. So I, I, I think we've adjusted quite well. I, I think all across supply chains, there are elements of, of what will become recognized as good practice, um, which are bedding down in supply chains. And I, I think a lot tactically, at least, in terms of how we go forward, I, I think that's going to be really important. The second thing is, I think this is a bit more long-term and there's a massive opportunity for us here. And it really goes back to the first question you asked me. Um, look, uh, our profession is front and center of political debate and of media discourse. And I, I think that represents a massive opportunity. Like, Just one example of this is uh, in recruitment into university specialist um, degree courses and postgraduate programs in the field of logistics and supply chain management, we've had a bumper year. So we're recruiting more and more um, good quality new talent into our profession. And any of us who've worked in the profession for a long time recognize that that was a major, major um, issue for us. And, and professional bodies in the field um, universities and other key stakeholders have been working really hard to try to address this. And I, I think sometimes the almost notoriety that comes from some of the things which have happened, we can turn it into an opportunity and we can begin to really address the the challenge of, of skills and, and knowledge and competency development. Because for a long time, I've, I've been strongly of the view that if we really want to move forward to the next stage of our development, we need to, like all of that depends on having the right talent. And it's about redeveloping existing talent and upskilling existing staff right across the supply chain. But more than ever, it's about bringing new, fresh talent into the profession in general and into the logistics industry in particular. And I, I think we have an opportunity to do that because, um, you know, the next few years will be very challenging in terms of technology continues to develop at a rapid pace, just, just staying on top of that 
um, potential and that capability is important. We have a massive job of work in front of us in terms of the sustainability, the environmental sustainability agenda. You know, we know that supply chains do damage to the natural environment, in, particularly in, in freight, transportation and logistics. You know, we, we, we still remain very heavily dependent, for example, here in the UK on road transportation, which in turn remains stubbornly dependent on the burning of fossil fuels. So we've got to grapple with, 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 with that. And, and, you know, we've all got very, very ahead of COP26. We've, we've all got incredibly challenging targets that we need to be meeting. And in addition to that, you know, we've, we've got this sort of uncertainty in the international uh, marketplace, but perhaps more importantly, a, a, an element of uncertainty and volatility in, in, in the international economic and political environment, which we need to grapple with. You know, when we think about what's what, what's been happening in China in recent years, what's been happening in Russia in recent years, what's been happening in some parts of South America and so on. So I, I, I think we're going to need a huge amount of of, of, of kind of knowledge and skill uh, as a supply chain profession to grapple with with, with that myriad um, challenges. And, you know, the fact that we are now bringing uh, great new talent into our profession, I think, is really encouraging. Augers, augers well. So you, you, you recently uh, edited the eighth edition of the book Global Logistics, uh, New Directions in Supply Chain Management. I think it's the subtitle of this edition. It was published earlier this year by Kogan Page and both in, in Great Britain and in the United States. So what's what's the premise of, of the book? To whom is it directed? And why did you decide to embark on the new edition in 2020, which I think was probably something like six years after the seventh edition, which came out in 2014, I think. Yeah, I think it, it, it's it's interesting because in that intervening six years, a lot had happened. You know, we see, in, like I, I I would point to two areas in particular. I mean, one is, and we've mentioned them already in passing. One is the kind of digitalization agenda had, had has become much more developed during that period, and the kind of environmental sustainability piece also has become more important. But I also think um, that that more fundamental than that, there's this sort of sense, and it's interesting in the book, the very last chapter in the book, quite deliberately, is about the subject of so-called deglobalization. Because, you know, we've we've begun to hear a lot about, you know, trade wars between China and when Trump was in the White House and all, all the rest of it. We see Brexit. I mean, is that a bit of a kind of return to some kind of economic nationalism? So the, there's a sort of feeling around, I, I, I think, that somehow this trend that we had seen over 20 or 30 or 40 years um, where you know we'd seen barriers to the movement of products and people and knowledge and everything else across international borders we'd, we'd seen those barriers reduce over a period of time and i think there was a sense that we'd come to the end of the line with that in some quarters now that was a theory i never really bought into because um you know i often say to people that when i began my supply chain career and i left university 35 years ago this year so i'm getting old now but I mean, the supply chains within which I worked in the um, 1980s and even into the 90s were largely quite local in complexion and in some cases, perhaps regional in complexion. But uh, to me, the biggest single change I've seen in my kind of supply chain career is that those supply chains have become much more international in complexion. 
and in some cases genuinely global in terms of how they look and feel. And um, you know that hasn't happened by accident. As you very well know, it's happened as a direct result of fundamental structural change, which has happened in the international economic and, and business and political environment. Now, I, I think those long-term uh, trends are not going to disappear. Um, so I, I, I think international supply chains will be with us. Uh, I think I can't see any reason why they won't be. Um, they will change. We'll always have change. We hear a lot about reshoring and nearshoring and all the rest of it. But I, I think by and large, that sort of trend towards removing barriers to international trade. So it's international more, trade. A, more a change of form rather than... Yeah, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a change of form yeah. rather than a complete change of direction. Yeah. It's not a kind of U-turn where, you know, suddenly we're going to wake up and every product will be manufactured and distributed locally. I think that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 you know, in, in a sense, I was keen to, in the eighth edition of Global Logistics, to acknowledge the fact that there is a reasonable debate happening on this and to deliberately include a a final chapter, which was in a sense an antidote to everything that <laughs> preceded it, but but to you know to recognise that that this this process, um, which has resulted in the creation of these complex international supply chains, you know you know that's a wake up call for all of us because that kind of internationalization of business and of supply chains, um, I think, just requires us as as managers to adopt a different kind of strategic outlook. You know, we can't we can't just kind of do what we did 20 years ago um, when the world was different and hope that we get uh, a good result. Um, so it, it's it's ensuring that strategic development processes and the implementation of, of, of kind of plans in business do take into account the way in which these um, international uh, trade trends particularly have impacted on the supply chains for particular products and indeed for particular services because you know you look at it in an Irish context now it's internationally traded services you know play a, a huge role it's it's not just about products and product supply chains so we're turning our attention a lot more now to service supply chains and indeed supply chains which are a mixture of, of physical the physical and the service uh, element which is really interesting and challenging in its own right. I'm going to have to get you back on because there were more questions I had here for you. But as we, we come to an end, uh, I just wanted to ask you, how, how can people uh, find out more about your about your work, about your research and the courses that are available? And, you know, if you're looking for PhD students and so on, what kind of areas uh, are of interest and how should they contact you there at Harriet Watt? Um, the best thing to do, I think, is to um, just, just consult the Harriet Watt University website. So we're at www.hw.ac.uk. And um, if you have a look there and take a look in particular at the work being done in the Centre for Logistics and Sustainability, that's the centre in which I'm based, and its title probably gives the game away in a sense because a lot of our work really is is driven by the need to do things in a much more sustainable way. And it's 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 about environmental sustainability, yes, but also about social sustainability. And I, I guess the latter piece, the kind of people dimension of the supply chain, is something we could devote a complete um, conversation to. But we have a particular interest, I, I think, and a particular expertise. Uh, in the role of sort of technology and the role of digitalization 
in achieving some of our supply chain sustainability goals. So it's kind of bringing together the technology deployment piece on the one hand and the sustainability, particularly but not exclusively the environmental sustainability piece on the other hand. So that in a way is what drives what we do. And um, as an engineer by background myself, that, that technology deployment as an enabler of better integrated supply chains, but more sustainable supply chains, you know, continues to be a key key focus. Okay, well, Ed, thanks again. It's uh, been a pleasure, absolute pleasure as as always. So wish you continued uh, success personally and professionally with your new role in, in Harriet Watt in Scotland. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, good to speak to you again. Thank you. And thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. Any comments or questions, just drop me a line on pdaily at albalogistics.com. That's P-D-A-L-Y at alba, A-L-B-A, logistics, all one word, dot com. So keep well and stay safe until next time. Mm-hmm.